be their best friend. I was raised to respect authority. Authority's looking to eat you alive. I do want to help y'all on law enforcement, too. And we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar, a special MMO interviews episode for you guys today. And it truly is a special episode for both of us, too, Mike. Paul Walter Hauser joined the show. He is Richard Jewell and Clint Eastwood's latest. You've also seen him in I, Tanya, Black Klansman. He's had a huge last three years. Yeah. We, we talked to him on Oscar morning. We talked to him about Kathy Bates working with Clint Eastwood, Spike Lee, Craig Gillespie, etc. I mean, he, he is just the man for coming on our show. We can't thank him enough. And we had a blast talking with him. We can't wait for you guys to hear this now. Maybe just genuinely the nicest guy <laughs> in <laughs> Hollywood period uh, and again I echo what Mike says we cannot thank him enough once again for giving us a moment of his time in just a little bit uh, he's got a few huge years ahead of him as well as anyone the caliber of his acting ability should we're looking forward to Cruella coming mm. from Craig Gillespie which is going to be the Cruella DeVille prequel so a 101 Dalmatians <laughs> prequel he's doing that with Emma Stone obviously he's going to be playing Horace we can't wait for his next turn with Spike Lee again he was so great in Black Klansman like Defy Mike told you Bloods. he's going to be into Five Bloods which is coming out at some point, I think next year or the year after. It's sooner the better. <laughs> we, we can't trust IMDb at this moment, but sooner the better. Please. He's got a role in the movie adaptation of Silk Road, which I personally can't wait for. That's a story that boggles my mind, but yeah. more importantly than any of that, he's an actor that is certainly on the come up, and so much so that the National Board of Review gave him their Breakthrough Performer of 2019 award, rightfully so. He was featured on the Feinberg forecast all throughout award season and the lead-up. It is our great honor and pleasure and privilege to mm. welcome Mr. Paul Walter Hauser here onto an episode of MMO Interviews. I hope you guys enjoy, and we will see you in the outro. All right, on the line right now, Paul Walter Hauser. Paul, thank you so much for doing this with us, man. Of course, this is awesome. I uh, I appreciate the love on Instagram from you guys. I, I think we also have a commonality with our love of professional wrestling. Did I, <laughs> you that did. I have been a lifelong fan. I got a couple <laughs> questions for you if we can get to them. Oh, uh, we'll get to them. We'll get to them. Congratulations on a on a great you know last few years, uh, in particular on your performance of Richard Jewell. You crushed it. You made our top fives, but we failed you, man. We didn't, we didn't get you a nom today. You were snubbed hard, and we were upset. But you gotta be, you got to be thrilled for Kathy Bates getting in. Yeah, no, dude, Kathy's <laughs> Kathy straight up legit deserves it. She's, um, she's such a good on-screen mommy. I couldn't <laughs> have asked for anyone better. In fact, when I read the script the first time, I thought I just imagined Kathy while reading it, like I played through the movie in my head, and she was just my mom instinctually. So when I went into the first meeting with Clint and the gang on the Warner Brothers lot, uh, I pitched Kathy Bates to play my mom, and they all kind of looked at each other conspiratorially like they already knew that that was their first choice. Oh, no kidding. Um, so, yeah, it couldn't have worked out better, man. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I mean, and, and congrats to you. Like Mike said, I mean, certainly Kathy Bates, like you said, merits nomination, but we obviously and certainly do think you did as well. But as a lead actor, you did have this Oscars momentum. You were part of the Feinberg forecast all award season long. I mean, in a year where there were so many great lead actor performance and so many legends coming out as well, what was it like for you being part of that conversation, the entire lead up and the entire run through award season yourself? Yeah, no, thanks for saying that. It was it was pretty surreal. I mean, I, you know, some of these guys are heroes of mine. You know, Adam Sandler is 
somebody I've loved my whole life. It's not like I love all his movies, but you know, <laughs> you guys aren't going to love all mine. So I think that's far from the courts for anybody. Uh, Adam, I love Adam. I love, um, you know, the work of people like Brad Pitt and Joe Pesci and Shia LaBeouf, who I think should have been nominated for best supporting for honey boy. So I, just, just to be in those like articles where they rattle off seven to 12 names, you yeah. know, in variety and Hollywood reporter, that's, that's pretty wild, and it's good, you know, it's good exposure. Hopefully, my name will be kind of sticky in people's heads, and they'll think of me for future work, you know? I think they did, because you've been cast in, like, uh, a million things since then. But uh, we we got to start with Richard Jewell, and, and this is kind of the part of every interview we do where it turns into the Chris Farley show from SNL, because I, <laughs> I, I can't believe <laughs> just, it. Just, it does every time. But, like, you're acting next to Kathy Bates, you're, she's breaking down emotionally, breaking down. How do you keep your shit together and not turn into a puddle of tears yourself, even though you did a little bit? How do you keep it together and play the caring son and play the strong for your mom's son in those scenes? Can you talk to us about the production of Richard Duell? I, w- I would say the very, the very thing you asked is how do you keep it together while she's basically acting so incredibly. Um, that's what helps me act well too you know like when she's so locked in that the tears flow easily and she gives me those little glaring looks like a real mother would when you're worried or upset or or disappointed I mean all you know it's all in the nuance it's all in the little stuff you know like it's it's uh if somebody makes a really great meal for you they can tell you all these things that they did where they're like oh you like the mashed potatoes well I heated up the milk before I poured it into the mixer because when you heat up the milk and when it's cold milk, it, it makes it lumpy. You know, there's all these little secrets and all these little nuances and things that mid taste or mid bite, you don't know went into it. And I think that's what a great actor like Kathy Bates or Sam Rockwell do is they're doing all these little things that amount to this great meal. And, um, and you know, people like yourselves who love film and pay attention you see all those things. And, uh, and that's what helped me act so well and stay in characters. I, all of the in-betweens and all the little things added up to, to telling that entire story in its entirety. You couldn't have picked a better analogy either. Mike and I are, are, are both large gentlemen that have had our fair share of mashed potatoes, both lumpy with cold and warm milk. Oh, well, there you so go. it fit, it fit go, perfectly man. there. But you mentioned, I mean, you have this palpable chemistry on screen with Sam Rockwell, with Kathy Bates playing, obviously, your lawyer and your mother, as you said, in the film. It, it, it seems like something you had to have worked on. Was there anything you did with either of them before shooting to build up that chemistry? Or was that something that just kind of happened organically on camera? Well, yeah, no, I mean, Kathy and I had one sort of hour-long session where we sat in her hotel room and we went over we went over the dialogue and just what we thought of the story, right? We didn't get too heavy into the characters. We were kind of going to present that to each other on the day when we actually shot it. But we kind of talked about the importance of what we were actually doing and sort of the, our fears going in and, uh, you know, her humility and her voicing her own concerns to me was influential because it made me feel less crazy because I was, you know, terrified. And then, uh, with Sam, it was more buddy-buddy, you know. Sam and I spent a day and a half in New York together. We went to a Broadway show, got some meals, read the script out loud, 
watch Rain Man together while drinking cognac and eating dark chocolate. Oh, that I mean, is so like, cool. We really we had we had a bit of a we had a bit of a bro out and I think that shows on the screen that we we have some chemistry and we actually like each other. Absolutely. I mean that that scene in the restaurant, one of the scenes of the year, you're forced to eat a donut in that scene and and when I eat a donut, Paul, the world is dead to me. How do you <laughs> How do you act and eat? I mean, did they? Did you actually eat a donut, or was it? Is, is that movie magic? What the hell happened? That's an incredible scene. <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs> um, I planned that. I kind of pre-planned that. I read the script and I thought, you know, I would love it if I would love it if after Richard found out that he was exonerated, he kind of like didn't bust up right away. He kind of just like would take a bite of the food and feel the freedom of eating and, and the, the freedom of like not having to feel the way he felt for so long. And then of course, you know, like anything, a dad who walks his daughter down the aisle on her wedding day, he's probably trying to keep it together and, you know, smile for people and for the cameras. But then when he gets to the end of the aisle and he, she kisses his face and he has to give her away to the, the preacher and the, and the, and the groom, that's kind of that moment where it's like, well, Dad, dad's going to lose it. So I had that dad's going to lose a moment of trying to keep composure and just go on with your day and eat the donut. And then, of course, by the second bite or whatever, it's it's all pouring out of him. Uh, so I was just trying to time that moment correctly. So that was a, a choice by you then. That was that was something that wasn't even in the script and you just brought that to the table? Oh, yeah, for sure. A lot of the stuff is, you know, but that's all actors. That's not just me. That's, that's everybody. Well, that was, I mean, that was a phenomenal choice. And I echo what Mike said. I think that was a, an outstanding scene on your part uh, because of it. And you, you, this film's, you know, doing a lot of good as well. You're shining a light on not only on this problem and this story, but I, I think I read or I heard that Richard's going to get a, a plaque in Centennial Park now. I don't think that oh, happens. Oh, yeah. No, that's true, dude. That's true. He's going to get a plaque. Awesome. I don't know when it's going up. I feel like it might have been March or something. It's in the next month or two, but. But um, how special is that, that, you know, they've really, truly cleared his name. And it's got to make you feel good, too. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, that probably doesn't happen without this film, right? I don't know. I don't think so at all. I think it would have been, you know, a bunch of people misjudging, miscalculating the cries of, of, of help for the Jewel family. And, and I think, you know, I think as a city... <sighs> It's tough to move on from stuff. You know, I'm, I'm from Michigan, uh, so a city like Detroit, you know, it's been, it's, it's been healing over time, and there's so much healing to do. I think the city of Atlanta has some healing to do from the, the trauma of the 96 Olympics, and, and this is part of that healing process, so I'm really proud of that. And you've said, you've been on the record saying that the real Bobby and the real Watson Bryant, they paid you the greatest compliment I think you could receive by saying that uh, it felt like after seeing your performance, they said it felt like we had Richard back for two hours. Uh, obviously, you get that confirmation of what a spectacular portrayal you did after the film. But was there a moment during filming or in pre-production or anything, any kind of conversation you had where you could feel it in yourself as an actor where you thought, I, I might be hitting one out of the park here. I might be onto something special in this portrayal. I don't think I really knew. I don't think I really knew if it was good or not as I was going. Not the film. I mean, my collaborators and the script and everybody—they're all great. I just mean, as you're doing it, I'm I'm sort of taking it piece by piece, and I didn't have that many moments of walking off set and being like, "I killed that. I crushed that. I had a great moment." It was more, 
in, I was more in fearful humility of knowing what a responsibility was put on my shoulders of being a lead, telling a true story, telling a complicated story and doing it for Clint Eastwood and Warner brothers. You know, that, that was what I walked away every day with was just like, did I make the casting crew happy? Is Clint happy with me? And now I got to go figure out what I'm doing tomorrow. So, so the responsibility kind of outweighed, outweighed any sort of calculation of me knowing whether it was good or not. And, uh, and I'll say this, when I saw the early screening in October in London, they, they let me watch an early cut of it. I walked out not feeling like I killed it, but I walked out going, you did the job, dude. Like, mm. you've never started in a movie before. You know, give yourself some, some, some fucking credit. You, you did it. Good job, dude. You know, there was, there was a big weight off my shoulders seeing the film because I knew at the very least I didn't, I didn't stink it up, which is cool. F and A, we agree, yeah. uh, and we got to talk about working with Clint Eastwood with you here, though. Uh, Frank Sinatra is notorious for only wanting to do one take of everything. They call him One Take Clint at times. <laughs> We've read that. What was production like with the legendary Clint Eastwood? Yeah, the one take thing I had been told by many other people. I have a few buddies who worked in tiny or like supporting roles in Clint Eastwood movies and. And they said, you know, you know, prepare. It's going to be one, maybe two. Uh, I, you know, that was that was part of the responsibility and the fear going in. But, you know, what I found to be true is take one was like a blocking rehearsal where he's just finding all the all the pieces. He's letting them kind of come together. And then take two is the real first take. And then there'd usually be a take three, uh, where where. You know, t so take one is rehearsal, take two is the first real one, and take three is usually Steve Campanelli, the camera operator, saying, hey, that was great, but when we did the pan, it was, it was a little shaky. I think I can get the pan better. So take huh. three was like the perfection take. So I would say there were more like three on the reg, and then mm -hmm. once in a while, if a scene was really trying or, or difficult, you know, I, I or Sam Rockwell or even Clint himself would go, we need another round. And that would go to four or five, maybe six takes on some of those. Um, so, yeah, you kind of never know. I, on the scene with the donut in the diner, I mean, I asked for like eight or nine takes. I did a yeah. shit ton of takes for that. But uh, Clint claims that the one him and Joel Cox edited together and used is, is the first take, which I find very hard to believe, but <laughs> that's what he claims. <laughs> I love working with Clint, though, man. I love Clint Eastwood. Like, anybody who wants to piss and moan about his politics and try to, you know, make a fuss over whatever he said or omitted to say in the press, it's like, dude, he's a nice guy who doesn't hurt anybody and he makes mm -hmm. great films. Piss off. There's my <laughs> quote for that. Is The guy is awesome. And guys like him and Spike Lee, you know, great filmmakers are controversial. You know, like, I, I think if you're not controversial, you're probably a little bland or milk toast and you don't get to the Oscars, you know? Very well said, and you're echoing some things that I know Mike and I both believe, but as far as asking a guy like Clint Eastwood, I mean, I mean, you go into this set, you know this reputation that this famous director and this actor has, but was there any intimidation for you before you asked for a retake on anything? Was there any, like, a second thought because he had this notorious one-take Clint ideal out there, or were you just going about no, business? No, no way. No way, because it, it, it it's not... It's. I mean, I want to make Clint happy, but in the moment, it's not about Clint. It's about me making sure I'm doing the job and 
And so there were there are moments on every film, uh, big director or not a big director, where I I go, hey, can I you know, can I get this thing? And then there's sometimes where you work with a director and they might not be as collaborative or they might not even know what's special about you. You might have really got ushered into the cast because a producer likes you or something, or you know the lead cast member chose you. So there are times too where I have to creep stuff in. When I did the movie Late Night. Uh, with Mindy Kaling, there's a moment where my character trips and falls when Emma Thompson's coming back into the office. Well, I improvised that because I wasn't even sure if the director would let me. So I just tell the camera operator, I go, hey, when you're you're like trucking right on the dolly, you know, or on the track, uh, make sure you you tilt down or get this because I'm going to trip and fall. So I did it on one take. And when they all cut, everyone's dying laughing. And, and Nisha Ganatra, the director, runs over to check and see if I'm okay because she doesn't know it was, it was planned. And, <laughs> and I, I stood up. She goes, are you all right? I go, yeah, I planned that. I thought it'd be funny. And she goes, it is. Do you mind doing it a couple more times? <laughs> and then, you know, I did maybe three more takes. And the next morning I woke up and my knee was all red and blue. But, like, <laughs> you know, so, so you have to kind of – you have to to answer your question and also to thoughtfully expound hopefully is um you have to find ways to make it your own and you have to find creative ways to give the editor options um so even though we stuck to a couple takes because Clint Eastwood's Clint Eastwood I was always trying to finagle and find ways to make it better or different and 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 bring about some sort of new conclusion that's that's wild to hear, and I just screwing around this morning before the Oscar noms, you know, I was looking at YouTube videos, searching your name out, and you had the Home Alone fall video from when you were much younger. With it seemed like you reenacted that for late night there. Uh, look, I mean, you, you've been a stand-up comedian. You you came up as a comedian. I, I'm wondering if that training ground really helped form a lot of your acting techniques, really gave you a, a foundation. I mean, can you talk about characters like uh, Ivanhoe and Black Klansmen and, and Late Night and Super Troopers 2? What are the differences between those? Sure, man. Because um, they're that, all funny. That, oh, thanks, dude. I think, I think comedy can't really be taught. I think you can teach techniques that support comedy, but I think funny people are funny people. I am... Um, I, I, I sort of leaned into this whole dream of like wanting to be on Saturday Night Live, wanting to be a sketch comedy performer, stand-up comic, and you know having a sitcom someday. In my head, it looked more like Kevin James or more like uh, you know Dan Aykroyd than it did what it is now, which is you know my career is looking a little bit closer to Paul Giamatti or somebody mm-hmm. now. I would think. Um, as far as the trajectory, I don't mean that I'm as good as him. I just mean to say the type of stuff I'm doing. So, um, yeah, no, I, I really love comedy. That's definitely where my roots are. And it definitely, you know, doing stand up in front of people at the comedy store, which I've done several times, that's way scarier than showing up on set with Spike or Clint. Like, I'm just being honest. That is way freaking scarier. It's terrifying. So, yeah, no, I think it has served a purpose and really, really made me the actor I am today for for a number of different reasons. And and it's funny because, I mean, you have this comedic background. You've done stand-up, like you said. You've done a lot of writing in your career as well. And you've been in these comedic uh, characters. But a lot of the antagonists you play, like, you know, the Sean character of My Tanya, which I think 
is just a brilliant portrayal. I, it's one of my favorite movie characters <laughs> ever, but you, you have this like mischievous underbelly of, of comedically antagonist when you're playing the quote unquote bad guy. But yet this Richard Jewell portrayal, you're like, it's, it's almost wholly opposite of those. You're very sincere. You're very vulnerable. Is there any kind of, because you have this comedic background and it's what you wanted to do for so long, is there a difference in mindset when your portrayal, is there any kind of prep work that's different playing the dramatic role versus playing the comedic role? That's a cool question. Uh, Thank you. I would say I, I would say I actually have the same. <laughs> man, that's weird. I have this. I have the same exact methodology for every genre of thing I do. I think so. When you see me, when you see me portray somebody, I, I don't think it's so much hyper concern about genre or or choices that feel like they fit the world it's more like how can i be honest and how can i be interesting you know i think the idiosyncratic fun nuancey stuff combined with telling the truth is the real recipe um in 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 Iconia, there's a moment i improvise where the scripted part when i'm talking to jeff galuli in the bar and we're hatching the plan for kerrigan the line is supposed to be uh I know a guy, I know a guy, Derek, it'll cost you about a thousand bucks. Let me take care of it. When I read it, I thought this, it would be really funny if he said, I know a guy, I shouldn't even be saying his name, Derek, <laughs> and then don't give the last name. I thought that was such a funny thing. I just made it up and, and put it in the script and did it. And then the writer, director, producer, everybody was like, keep, keep doing that. So you know, once again, I'm not trying to steal the scene by adding that, little line i'm just trying to enhance what's already there and that character would have done that you know he he probably was woefully unaware sometimes and lacked self-awareness and probably said stupid things like that um yeah so 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 things like that i get maybe that answers it maybe it doesn't but but yeah speaking of sean eckert uh and i love that performance as well what were you doing with your eyes in that in that with that character they're glazed over at times like you just got out of a car with snoop dogg uh, i mean they're lying eyes it was obviously a deliberate thing i mean how did you manage that oh uh, that was just acting that was just me mimicking what i saw in all the videos because that's how he looks in all the videos you know you not I, I sincerely you not that performance. I, I love your Richard Jewell portrayal, but that Sean portrayal, my God! I think there's such an art to playing oh, that thanks, comedically off kilter, off color baddie, and you knocked it out of the park, man. Just uh, one more question, then we'll we'll ask you the last one to get you out of here. So you've worked with uh, the great Spike Lee, obviously in Black Klansman. You're doing so again in, in the Five Bloods coming up. Just can you comment on how it feels being one of like I guess Spike's go-to actors now? And is there anything you're gleaning from him or from Craig Gillespie or from Clint Eastwood that you're working with all these fantastic directors in your career doing? Yeah, I think I glean the same sort of qualities or the, or the same sort of consistent qualities I've seen in those directors, which is ordinarily a Craig or a Spike or a Clint. They're all very well prepared. They do their homework. They have crews that are ride or die loyal to them. And they give me freedom to interpret. So I would say those qualities are maybe the most consistent. I, I want to keep finding directors who have loyal, talented crews. Uh, the directors come in with, with a real vision and do their homework. And they allow me to do what I'm hired to do. Because, uh, you know, 
all, all dictatorship and no play makes me a pissed off actor. We're not all meant to play well with everybody. It doesn't mean we can't get along. It means that we shouldn't all collaborate. So there are directors that if I hear enough bad things about them, I'm probably not going to work with them or actors, you know, on, on the very principle that um, I go out of my way to try to work hard and have fun and make people feel good. And if someone's going to try to tarnish that, um, experience, you know, uh, peace, you know? Uh, so I, I, I would say, I would say those directors are, are incredible. And, and the fact that Spike used me again is the most insane thing ever. Like, I can't believe. <laughs> I mean, it's like John, it's John Goodman and the Coen brothers, you know, like everybody dreams of having a relationship with a filmmaker or filmmakers who are that good. So, um, you know, hopefully he keeps casting me. If not, you know, uh, Choose better than nothing. It's been awesome. Well, it, it's well-earned and certainly well-deserved by you, and I think that's great advice not only for in the film industry but also just in life in general and dealing with uh, various opinions and various people. We'll get you out of here. We can't thank you enough, Paul, thank for you. doing this and giving us a moment of your time. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap you up with the last question we ask everyone in an MMO interview segment. Uh, Paul Walter Hauser, you're now a veteran of the film industry. You are Oscars <laughs> gold, frankly. Everything you touch seems to get nominated, so we need to ask you what better person to ask than... If there is a version of the worst possible movie that could ever be made for Paul Walter Hauser, what would be Paul Walter Hauser's worst movie ever? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, the worst movie like starring me? No, just in general. You go into a theater it, oh, and you no. walk out and you're just like, oh my God. Oh gosh. The worst movie ever would probably be a remake um, a remake of It's a Wonderful Life, uh, <laughs> starring a bunch of millennials who don't know anything about life. <laughs> Perfect. That's great, man. Perfect. Paul Walter Hauser, thank you so much, man. Sincerely. Thanks. For sure. Love you guys. God bless you, and uh, thanks for having me on. Same to you, man. Take Same care. to you and yours. I know I say all the time at the end of these that uh, <laughs> I don't know why these people are agreeing to us, but somebody that put forth the performance that Paul Walter Hauser did in Richard Jewell, who should have been nominated for Best Actor this year, quite frankly, yes. and is in both of our top fives individually, uh, I, we cannot thank him enough. So very cool of Paul Walter Hauser, the star of Richard Jewell, his leading role, Clint Eastwood's latest film, still in theaters. Go check that out as, as soon as you can, because it's it's a great film, certainly worthy of having everyone see it. Yeah, we were big fans of that movie when mm. we reviewed it a couple weeks ago, and uh, I'm glad to see it get a nomination this past Monday. It was really cool to talk to Paul about it. Go and see that film. Yes, please. Bottom line, and uh, get ready to see a lot of PWH in theaters over the next year and a half, guys. I mean, he's going to be in Cruella. He's going to be in a ton of things, and uh, The Five Bloods can't wait uh, for Silk Road, etc., etc. In the meantime, you can follow him on Twitter at Paul W. Hauser, H-A-U-S-E-R, and at P.W. Hauser on Instagram. Yeah, go follow him on social media, like Mike just said. Go see Richard Jewell. Get ready to see a lot more Paul Walter Hauser in your future, and go see everything Paul Hauser does, because I don't think there's somebody in Hollywood making 
better script choices and performance choices than he is right now. You heard him talk to us about some individual choices he made while shooting Richard mm -hmm. Jewell that he kind of just came up with and while shooting Late Night that were really cool and wouldn't be in there without him. So this is a guy who is truly on the rise and destined for huge things, and it's probably only a matter of time before we do mention his name on Oscars Sunday, as we should be this year had the Academy been seeing these films correctly. Bad, but he does have back-to-back-to-back Oscar-nominated films on his resume, and that's for a reason. I mean, he's he's gaining the interest of all these great filmmakers, and he's, he's picking great scripts year after year after year, so it makes me excited. It, may, it makes me trust his choices, yeah. like you just said. It makes me excited for all his upcoming movies. I mean, we don't do a ton of MMO interviews, guys, so when we get the chance to talk to somebody, we're talking to somebody we really uh, look up to and admire, and, um, and Paul Walter Hauser is definitely one of those guys. Lots of stuff to look forward to with Paul Walter Hauser. Lots of stuff to look forward to with Mike, Mike, and Oscar, too. Guys, we want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about this interview, anything else we do in the MMO Empire, and do, uh, as we asked already once before, start sending in your categories for the Mike, Mike, and Oscar yes. show, the big award show that we're always doing at the end of every award season. We're going to try to get that in before the Oscars like we have the last couple years, but you can catch Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Leave us those categories and comments. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. So if you have an iPhone, just use Apple Podcasts. If you wouldn't mind tapping on the i the Apple Podcasts app, typing in Mike, Mike, and Oscar into the search, scrolling down once, and leaving us a five-star review, uh, we would truly appreciate that. Mike, what are some words of wisdom to get out of here on? And thank Paul Walter Hauser once again for us. I think it's wise to thank our audience again as yes. well because they've really been coming through in droves. I mean, we're growing, we're really ex excited, and the fact that uh, PWH come on our show, I mean, think about where we came from a year ago, two years ago. I didn't even get to ask him wrestling questions yet. I hope he comes back. I got like a three-hour podcast to go. He was the right for Edge and Christian. That's right. <laughs> of course. I knew that. Of course I did. No, but he was an awesome guy to talk yeah. to. I would love to have him back on. And thanks to uh, Paul Walter Hauser once again. Yeah, like we say around here, when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies, listen to these interviews, and check out award season with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. See you.